Ever wondered what motivates people to get plastic surgery? Did they regret it? What can we learn from the plastic surgery stories of patients? We're here to explore those questions and get some answers with my guest Liam on the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome back, and thanks to our listeners for the amazing feedback. We have had so much fun so far and look forward to more of your insights and suggestions. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help us get you more amazing content. On the Plastic Surgeon Podcast, we listen to real plastic surgery stories of triumph and pain from real patients and providers to further understand the motivations of why they would risk their life under the knife. I'm Dr. Javad Sajin, and today my guest is Liam. Liam, we're here to talk about your journey, how we came to know each other, the procedure you underwent, and how it's affected you. Hi, thanks for having me. Liam, what surgery did you have? I had top surgery. And what's top surgery? Top surgery is when you go into a surgeon and they remove the excess fat that's in your chest. Typically, most um, female to male patients do this. So it's a gender-affirming surgery, right? Yes, yes. yes. And um, usually it's fat removal with... uh, chest tissue or breast tissue removal, right? And yeah. the goal is, as you said, to create a more chest that's affirming for that patient's gender identity. That's and there's different kinds of top surgery. Um, what, do you remember which kind you had? I'm pretty sure I had the bilateral mastectomy. So exactly. Two incisions. Yeah, yeah. So we did a, what's called a, a double incision top surgery. What that means is we removed um, 95, about 95% of the tissue on both sides. We removed the nipple and reinserted them and made new nipples for you, right? Yeah. How long ago did we do that, Liam? Um, I had my surgery August 10th. Awesome. Uh, this year. How has it felt since? It's been amazing. It's been amazing. Um, whenever I put on a shirt now, it's just, I don't think it'll ever get old to see my chest and not seeing what I used to see before. It just looks flat. It looks like there's pecs there. It's, it's awesome. That's so cool. That makes me so happy to see that. Thank you. See your face when you talk about it. And when you used to look at your chest before the top surgery, mm-hmm. do you mind sharing with, with our listeners, how did you feel? I felt just really out of place. I felt like that wasn't me. Um, I remember when my chest first started to grow in back in fourth grade. It was the most traumatic thing for me. I was just completely distraught. I didn't understand why they were growing. Because I, I guess, to me, I never really understood that there was a difference. Um, I always wanted to go around without my shirt, but my parents would tell me that it's not okay because I was a girl. And um, to me, that just wasn't the case. And what's your gender identity, Liam? I identify as male. What is gender identity? Gender identity is how you feel on the inside. A lot of times, for most people, their outside doesn't match their inside. And for me, growing up, my outside never matched my inside okay when did you know that was the case i think i always knew i just didn't have the word for it um i was born in dominican republic so we didn't really have you know transgender people nor did i hear about it until i was like in high school when did your family move to the u.s they moved to the u.s when i was about six years old so sometime around 2000 some early 2000s I can't remember exactly when what feelings were you getting that 
your gender assigned at birth wasn't congruent with you? Um, whenever my mom would try to put me in a dress, would try to put me in like a skirt or anything like that, I just it it would it would make me feel like I was like there was a box, like I was in a box and I felt just closed up. I couldn't see anything. I felt really stressed out all the time. My hands would get clammy all the time, and I didn't understand why. Um, I would see my brother going out without his shirt and being totally fine, and I wanted to do that. I wanted to look like that, but um, having to wear a dress and having to put on a bikini, it just, just wasn't for me. It would make me slunched over. I never walked with confidence. It was just traumatic. What age did you first feel this? I would say hmm, I was in like kindergarten, so maybe... Hmm, can't remember exactly how old I was in kindergarten. <laughs> very early. Very was this early. in the U.S. first or Dominican Republic? Dominican Republic first. Did you say something to anyone? No, because I didn't know how it felt. I didn't know what it was either. I just assumed that I just didn't like those types of clothes. Um, my parents just figured, ah, it's okay. He'll outgrow it. But I just never did. When did you start figuring out that your gender identity wasn't congruent? When did you have the words for it? I would say I, I learned it in high school. Yeah, so my, I would say junior year, uh, that's when I first started hearing people that were transgender, and I would look it up online and try to see if, if that's how I felt. But um, I had a friend that I felt like I didn't have the exact experiences as him, and so to me it was like, oh, well, I, I can't be trans because I didn't have the exact experiences. In high school, how did you learn somebody else was trans? Did the teachers announce it? Did the st other students say it? Yeah, so a lot of students would gossip, and um, you'd hear about the one kid in school that was trans and, you know, used to be a girl and is now a boy or vice versa. And to me, I always thought that was fascinating. And um, I wanted to talk to them, but I didn't know how, so I just didn't talk to them. And was it a formal announcement, or was it just gossip? It was just gossip, yeah. And you went home junior year when you started hearing about this. You did mm -hmm. some research. Yeah. What kind of online sources did you go to? Honestly, nothing nothing that was uh, verified. It was just a lot of YouTube, a lot of just Google searches, a lot of um, Twitter searches, everything like that, yeah. And the teachers never addressed it or talked about it in any classes? No, um, they were pretty much just telling us to, you know, this person doesn't use these pronouns anymore. This is their new name. Let's please address them as such. And we were all like, well, okay, cool. Was the Seattle public school system? Yep, back in Shoreline. Oh, I see. So the teachers made this announcement and uh, everyone accepted it. Was yeah. there any, any picking on or bullying that you saw? Not that I ever saw, no. Then did you ever approach one of these um, fellow classmates who had a change in gender? gender? Yeah. Um, I wasn't friends with them though. Um, to me, it was just, just another person. I didn't see any difference. It was just like, oh, they use a new name now. They use different pronouns, so I'll just address them that way. And were these people trans male or trans female, or was it a mix? I met a lot of trans males, not a whole lot of trans females. How many people was it in your school or your class? 
So I don't think there were really any in my class that I knew about. Um, there were a lot of younger people. I think maybe in my class there might have been one. Um, but I think they were more trans mask rather than um, identifying as male. Um, and I didn't really know the difference back then, so I just assumed, you know, male. Mm -hmm. Did you ever approach one of these fellow classmates or students? I didn't, honestly. I just didn't know how to talk to them. And you started doing online research. Mm -hmm. What happened next in your journey? I just, my parents would constantly ask me, this was like back even in like elementary school, they'd always ask me, oh, are you, are you trying to be a boy or something? And they'd say it with like a bit of jokingness, but to me, I kind of felt like, like it was like a punch being thrown at me and I didn't know why. And, um, um, I told my mother a long time ago, I think back when I was in fifth grade that I liked girls and she's like, oh, it's fine. It's just a phase. You'll outgrow it. And um, it just never really did, and I was like, huh, well, maybe maybe I don't like girls, maybe it's just, um, maybe it's just, just a phase, as she said. But whenever I saw boys, I never liked them, it was just that I wanted to be them, I wanted to look like them. It was never that I had any real emotions towards them. So I just, I couldn't take it anymore, I stopped wearing the dresses, I stopped wearing, um skirts and anything like that. I was very much into sports, so that helped a lot. I was able to wear sweatpants and sweatshirts whenever, which helped with my chest. Um, and what age was this at? This was um, high school, so junior, senior year. So I was about um, 16, 17, yeah. And when did you start coming out to people? I started... Um, I think 2020 yeah I started fully coming out to people and telling my close friends um, I think I might have officially transitioned um, socially to everybody around me 2021 were you in school then or were you done with high school I was done with high school yeah. so you've graduated high school as someone who's assigned female at birth yeah were you identifying as gay or anything else at this point? No, I had a really weird um, association with the word lesbian. So I, I didn't ever use that um, because I didn't really date many girls either. I didn't really date anybody. Um, but I definitely did not want to be called lesbian because to me that meant I was a girl. And mm. in my mind, only girls are lesbians. So that was not something I ever wanted. I didn't even want to call, be called a tomboy. The only thing I ever liked about being called a tomboy was the boy part. Mm. Um, I liked when people uh, confused me and misgendered me back then, and they'd say, oh, this little boy. But to me, it made me super happy. And my parents would be like, oh, no, that's, that's a little girl. And then I'd get all upset about it, but, yeah. Did you go to any school dances or social functions with, like, a quote-unquote boyfriend or girlfriend? No. I, I always made a point to skip those. I never wanted to go because I never wanted to have to wear a dress. I never wanted to have to wear makeup or anything like that. Um, I did have to um, for graduation, but I didn't really have a choice. My, parent wanted, my parents wanted me to attend my graduation, so I had to wear a dress and I had to wear makeup. And it wasn't much, but to me it was a huge difference. This wasn't me, and I was just, it was just putting up a front. When you first came out socially, did you tell your parents or your friends? I told my roommate first. Um, were you in college at this point or were you working and living? 
I was just working and living. Um, I had moved to Bellingham at this point. Um, so I had, had, had been living away from my parents for about like two years or maybe a year or something like that. And um, I told my parents second. And then after I told my parents, I told everybody around me. So my acquaintances, my boss, all of that. What did your parents say when you told them? I'll be honest, they weren't super accepting at first. Um, they thought I was confused, um, specifically my father. And then later on, I think it was just, I think they were just scared. Uh, my mom told me that, she'll be honest, when she was pregnant with me, she was certain that the doctors were gonna tell me or tell her that it was a boy. But she was confused when she delivered me and the doctors were like, he was a little girl. She felt like that was wrong, but she didn't question it. And to me, that was a huge telltale sign that I was meant to be a boy my entire life. Hmm. And what did your dad say? My dad, he just, he just said that I didn't know myself. And that was something that hurt, but I knew myself. I knew that I felt like this since as early as I could remember. I just didn't have the words for it. Were your parents both Dominican? No, so my father is um, American. Mm -hmm. um, I think he was born in New Hampshire or Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother was born in Dominican Republic. And he met your mom when he was there, I'm assuming? Mm -hmm. What was he doing there? He was working in the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they got married and she, they came back together. After yeah. When you were in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And how did you address this incongruency with your dad? Um, I stopped talking to him for a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I was raised in a pretty, I would say, harsh environment in a way. My dad was raised with a military family, so he's very strict. And so I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And I was just like, okay, well, the only way for him to understand this is to be strict. So I stopped talking to him for a bit. Whenever we'd argue, I just, I'm done talking, hang up the phone or block him for a few days. Um, but since then, um, we're all very, very, very close. Mm -hmm. They all understand, they all accept me, and they address me correctly, and no mistakes. Was religion an important part of your childhood or your life? I would say it was there, but it wasn't like super, super important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not, not super, super important. And it sounds like your mom accepted? Yeah. yeah. And your, your dad now, he's accepted it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did he get over that hump, or what did you do to help him get there? I'm not entirely sure. I think my mother might have helped him, because I, I wasn't living with them at the time. Um, so I assume they had a conversation within themselves, and I think their love for me was stronger than, you know, what they thought I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. How many siblings do you have, Liam? I have two others. I have, I'm the eldest. I have um, a 21-year-old brother and a 9-year-old sister. And your two siblings, are they cis? Yes, they are. How did they feel about this? They didn't have any bit of concern. They didn't think there was any anything different. My brother, when I first told him, he was excited. He was like, you know, I've always wanted a, an older brother. So mm. that made me very happy. My sister didn't care because she was nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, right now, how's your relationship with your dad? It's great. Really, really great. Do you have extended family that knew about this? Yeah, so my family in Dominican Republic, they all know. My grandmother's actually here from the Dominican Republic. She's visited the States for the first time in her whole life, and she loves it. And uh, 
she addresses me correctly, even though I haven't seen her in like 10 years. Mm. But um, everything's great. Everything's great. And when we think about transition, there's multiple phases is the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. People will often first do a social transition. Yeah. And what that means to me, yeah, how my patients have described it is they'll come out to the people around them. Then oftentimes they'll change the way they present. Yeah. And the way they dress, the way they act, the way they walk, the way they come out to society. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, shortly or after some period, people will start hormone and medical transition. Did you start that? Yeah, I'll be honest. I actually started my um, my appearance right after high school, so my appearance completely changed, and it like gradually changed as like I went through high school. But as soon as I was out of there, I was you know no more dresses, no more any of this, just sweatpants, and like I would buy from the men's section. <coughs> Sorry. And uh, did that happen uh, more when you moved from um, your house? That's exactly it. Because I had, you know, my own money. I didn't have my parents to judge me. So I would just always go to the men's section. Every once in a while, um, since it was before I came out, um, I would get something from the women's section. I think just to hang on to that little piece to appease my parents. Um, But I never wore them. It was just sitting there in my closet collecting dust. Um... But, yeah, I wore men's jeans, men's shirts, men's boxers, men's um, everything, everything. And how long after you socially transitioned did you think about medically transitioning? I always wanted to medically transition. And so as soon as I socially transitioned, I think um, I waited, I would say, probably a couple months. And then I started um, testosterone. I think I started testosterone in uh, 2000, I think uh, 2021, yeah, 2021. Was it hard to find a provider? No, actually, I used Plume, so it's a telehealth medical thing, um, and they, they've been great. I started testosterone, like, immediately. How did that feel when you started T? I I was to the moon ecstatic I was so excited um, every I would say every day I went to the mirror to check to see if I had another little hair in my mustache mm-hmm. or beard mm-hmm. growing but yeah what were some of the changes you started to see I noticed I think the first thing I noticed was um, my emotions I was happier I felt lighter um, and then I noticed that there were some other more physical changes like the sound of my voice uh, my period stopped coming after like a month and a half. Um, I also noticed bottom growth. That was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, What's, do you mind sharing what, what bottom growth is? Yeah, bottom growth is when, um, I guess, your downstairs mm-hmm. enlarges. So for mm-hmm. most people, they're, I'm, I'm not wrong. The clitoris enlarges, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. their clitoris mm-hmm. enlarges. And it varies from different people. Some people it gets larger, some people it doesn't grow at all. Yeah. And did they require... Um, the plume and telehealth people, did they require you to get any counseling or therapy before hormones? No, because I, I did start therapy um, just for my parents because they felt like before I start anything, before I, you know, tell anyone anything, that I should go to therapy. Hmm. And um, I had already told everybody, but I was like, sure, if you want me to go to therapy, that's fine, I'll go to therapy. And uh, my therapist was like, yeah, you have gender dysphoria it would be recommended that you start testosterone. 
And I was excited. I already knew. So, and that the, Did you find a therapist or did your parents recommend it? Um, my parents recommended that I try BetterHelp. Mm-hmm. And so I found a therapist through BetterHelp. Was this someone who specialized in gender stuff or just someone who you, was there a refer- online that was available? It was just the person that was available. I tried to find someone that was more in the LGBTQIA plus community, but mm-hmm. um, sometimes that doesn't really help. Um, the person I had was super, super kind, but um, I guess they weren't a mental health expert. So in order for me to find that, to get top surgery, I wanted to make sure that I had someone mm-hmm. that was a mental health professional. So later mm-hmm. on, I found a different therapist. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Liam, did you learn anything new in therapy? Honestly, I, I really didn't. I would say that I know myself extremely well. So whenever they told me something new, new, um, I already knew it. You know, I already felt. I already felt that. I grew up having a lot of anger issues, mainly because I didn't know how um, how I felt growing up, and so I would just bottle everything up. But um, after hearing a therapist tell me that I need to work on my anger issues, I I already knew that. I was already mm-hmm. trying to work on that. What kind of anger issues did you have? Um, I just, I really hold grudges. So whenever I would um, even just drop my phone, it mm. was to the point where I just, like, I wanted to punch a hole through the wall. And I think it was just, I was dealing with other thoughts. It wasn't just the fact that I dropped my phone. Mm. It was the fact that I was stuck in a body that wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did testosterone make that more? It did. It helped. It helped a lot. So I, I originally I heard that um, testosterone was supposed to heighten your anger, mm-hmm. but for me it did the complete opposite. I was just happier. So my anger, I never just, I didn't just hold everything in anymore. I spoke to my friends about my my feelings, and it just helped a lot with my anger. How soon after you started testosterone did you start thinking about surgery? So I always wanted top surgery. I knew that for a fact. Um, I think with my roommate, I probably, I probably told them that I wasn't sure. I wanted to see how testosterone was going to affect my chest because I know that mm-hmm. sometimes it, it gets a little smaller. But to me, I knew for a fact I wanted top surgery. I wanted my chest to look a certain way, and I knew that no matter how hard I worked on my chest, testosterone wasn't just going to fix it. Hmm. Is your roommate um, part of the LGBTQI community, or are they cis? They're cis. Okay. And your roommate knew about your gender transition, I'm assuming? Yes. Mm-hmm. Supportive? Very supportive, yeah. And when you when you um, started thinking about top surgery, that you always had been, what made you decide now was the time? Um, I'll be honest, um, a huge factor was the fact that I was um, 24 at the time. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to make sure that I got my top surgery before I turned 26, because I wanted to stay on my parents' plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that top surgery is expensive. I was trying to save up, but I just wanted to make sure I got it done before I turned 26. How did you start researching surgeons who do that kind of work? Um, I looked at other trans men and how they started looking. And um, I just started looking for surgeons in my area because I, I thought about looking outside the state. Mm-hmm. But the prices were way too high. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to keep things local and then... I saw you and Dr. Tony, mm-hmm. and um, I'll be honest, I did reach out to Dr. Tony first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because I just didn't know a whole lot about you at the time, Sure. and um, I found out that he didn't take my insurance for some reason, and so I reached out to you, and I looked more into your, your results, and I just I was blown away. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, especially people that have melanin. I wanted to make sure that I was okay with how their scarring is, even though mine probably wouldn't be the same. Mm-hmm. It actually hasn't been the same at all. Um, but I was just blown away with your results, and so I just booked a consultation. That's cool. Did you see some of the stories from our patients or any of the videos before? No, actually, I, de- I didn't. I just saw the uh, your results page, and that was all. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and how did you make the uh, call to, for the consultation? What led to that? I was nervous. So I went onto your your website and mm-hmm. I messaged. The, there's a little little talking mm-hmm. circle there. Yeah. So I, I asked some questions on there and they were like, well, you know, the best way to get to know him is to make a consultation appointment. And so I was like, well, let's do it. Mm-hmm. I, and I did it, I think, that very day. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you have to wait a little bit or was it pretty quick to get it? It was pretty quick. Okay. Um, I would say it might have taken me like maybe a week. Okay. Yeah. And then you came in for the consultation, mm-hmm. and we. Um, how was that experience? It was. I was nervous. Uh, we went to your location in Seattle, mm-hmm. and um, I hadn't been in Seattle in like a long time since I moved out of my parents. Mm-hmm. So it was just really exciting being back and actually doing something that I wanted to do this time and talking about my future. Mm-hmm. So I was. I was very excited. How was it the night before the consultation? I couldn't sleep. I was awake all night. What were you thinking about? Just, um, what if it doesn't work out? What if, you know, for some reason I'm not the right candidate? Um, I wanted to get keyhole surgery originally, mm-hmm. but um, my, my breasts were just a little too large for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't entirely sure how I was going to feel about having two incisions that big mm-hmm. on my chest, but um, I was just, I needed this, so mm-hmm. I didn't care how the scars came out. I understand. I think so many patients who... Um, want to go and undergo top surgery oftentimes in the beginning they're just used to so many gatekeepers and they're so scared of the system yeah. um, because of all the history that we have especially people of color I would say mm-hmm. and so their their worry isn't I want the best oftentimes their main motivation is I just want this done yeah. right and I think um, for many providers unfortunately that's all they try to do. They just want to get it done. And I think for me, it's beyond that, right? When I, when I have the privilege of meeting someone like yourself who's interested in top surgery, my goal isn't, can I do the surgery? That's really never my goal. My goal always when I meet patients is, how am I going to meet this person's expectations? And my real goal is, what I'm asking myself, is how am I going to exceed their expectations? You know, How am I going to do more, be more, and really create something that's going to complement this person's life. A lot of people know how to cut, and a lot of people know how to stitch. Mm -hmm. The hard part, I think, with top surgery, the real challenge is understanding the psychology, the physiology, the biology, and the anatomy to create a chest that's going to be with someone for the rest of their life, right? So when I'm making these cuts, and I'm making my incisions, sometimes when I make my videos, it looks... um, it looks routine, right? Sometimes it looks. Sometimes it's entertaining to watch because I'm a little bit of an animated person. But uh, in you know, in my mind, I, I always remind myself every move I make, every cut I make, every decision I make. This person's going to live with for the rest of their life, and there's no turning back, right? Yeah. And so I think that's the important thing. I think that's what separates people who do amazing top surgery from people who just do top surgery, right? Just doing yeah. top surgery means okay, cut out the tissue, stitch it up 
put a drain in, send them home, mm -hmm. right? Doing amazing top surgery for me means creating shape, form, and figure that someone's proud of. That's yeah. what I try to do. Mm -hmm. um, so with your surgery, did you have drains? I did not, no. I was, I was actually really worried when I first found out that you did drainless top surgeries. Mm -hmm. And I was a little skeptical, but, you know, I was like, you know, just trust the process. Yeah. His results are amazing. Yeah. So, and you don't have that large of a chest either, so just go for it. Just trust. Yeah. Because I have a very hard time trusting mm -hmm. people, and um, I just put all my trust in you, and it, it turned out marvelous. Oh, thank you. What made you want to trust me? Did something must have clicked or not clicked? Um... It was just the way you spoke to me. You genuinely seemed to really care. And it wasn't just, okay, well, this is another paycheck, you know, mm -hmm. another patient just to add to my tally. This was, like, genuine for you. And I, I could sense that. And I just I wanted to trust you. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, so we, we had the consult. How did that experience go? Because I know you came in thinking... I don't I want keyhole and what keyhole is it's a little different than double incision so with the keyhole especially when people of color it's really nice if you can do because you just cut underneath the areola it's a little half circle and when you make that incision between the areola and the skin mm -hmm. there's no real scar you can see yeah. because you hide the scar at junctions so when you place incisions between junctions in the body what happens is you can't really see it because it'll look like a transition. Yeah. So you're always expecting to see a line between the areola and the chest skin. So when that cut is there, I was like, oh yeah, it's normal, whatever. You don't see it, but it's still a cut and a scar, but it's very slight. Mm -hmm. When you make scars through an entire anatomic zone, like the pec, there's no transition, right? So you see that cut through yeah. and through. Mm -hmm. um, so the keyhole's oftentimes better if possible because there's no visible signs oftentimes yeah. um, it heals quick I don't do I drains with keyhole I think I'm the only person who does that in the world that I know of drainless keyhole surgery um, and then we um, and then you heal uh, the challenge of the keyhole that we talked about was you can't have a really wide areola or a yeah. lot of skin and tissue because if you have that it ends up looking botched in my opinion yeah. right what happens is in a keyhole surgery, you're not removing skin, but you're removing gland. You're not usually you're not removing areola. So what you're hoping is everything will shrink around the internal contents that you remove. Mm -hmm. And there's two ways to get away with keyhole and somebody who's not a candidate. Way number one, leave a lot of tissue and give them just a small breast, which looks horrible. And I do revisions for other people because of that, not my own. And way number two is you just remove a lot of tissue and hope and pray the skin heals. And usually it doesn't look nice, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about that. Yeah. What did you feel about that when I said, you know, I don't think you're a keyhole candidate. We should go with double incision. I was I was a little disappointed, um, mainly because I had seen other, you know, bilateral mastectomies done, and I just didn't want the scar. Mm -hmm. I didn't want us to have something so large on my chest, especially since I didn't know how I was going to feel about it. But, um, you know, I went home. And I thought about it, and I looked at more top surgery results of double incisions, and I was just like, you know, I want this. I need this, so I don't care. And so I just went for it. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you get other consults to see if other doctors can do keyhole? Because usually I'll tell people, you know, I'm giving you my opinion, and you can also get more. Nothing wrong with that. I'll even help give you names. But what made you not want to do that? I just... 
I didn't like the, the results that other people had. Mm -hmm. um, those other surgeons that did the keyhole surgery with larger breasts, it just, it didn't look the way I wanted it to look. The areola was either too big or, in my opinion, or I just, I didn't think I was going to be happy. Mm -hmm. I wanted something that was going to suit me. And I just, I trusted your results. I trusted your opinion. So I went with that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so day of surgery came. How was that day? Very, very nerve wracking. Again, I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, couldn't sleep. And, and, and you're a smart, kind, loving person. But I, but I can, you know, I, I see so many people. I understand personalities. I know that you are cautiously skeptical, not in a bad way. Yep. Not, not saying negatively, but you question things to make sure you're making right decisions, right? Which many Absolutely. people do. Yeah. Um, and did you have any doubt day of surgery? Not the day of surgery. Uh -huh. After I got the surgery done, um, when I was conscious, I think this was like just a few days after surgery, I was just like, did I make a mistake? Mm. Is this, what I did is irreversible. Did I, did I make a mistake? And um, I told my roommate, and I just, as soon as I s like said it out loud, mm -hmm. I was like, no, I didn't. This is something I've always wanted. My chest looks great, and it will heal greatly if I listen to what, what you said. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I just paid attention to your instructions to the T, and my chest looks amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and we, did you use our SCAR protocol system? Yeah, I'm on uh, phase two right now. How has that been going for you? Really, really good. Um, the first one was with the shower mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. cream. And um, it was a lot of, uh, I, th I thought I was going to forget mm -hmm. to be able to do it twice daily. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just routine for me. I want this to look the best possible. Mm -hmm. I want my scars to go away as much as possible. So I don't really have a problem with it at all. Um, and I like the smell. I'll be honest, the mm -hmm. smell of the SCAR protocol, it smells really good. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so the uh, the scars now, so with the top surgery, you do have a big scar that goes from basically the midline all the way to the side towards your armpit. Mm -hmm. How is that scar uh, going for you right now? Really good. Um, at first, I was a little nervous because um, it was just a little, I would say a little thick mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the scar. And you, you, I went to you and you explained that, you know, with people with melanin, the scar will you know flatten out mm -hmm. over time mm -hmm. and it has done that i have seen that um but yeah and the reason it was thick so i can explain to our mm -hmm. to everyone is so when you do surgery you can't think about what it's looking like on the table you got to think about long term so why does why do my incisions oftentimes look thick right away on the table the reason for that is there's a concept in wound closure in plastic surgery called eversion what that means is when you stitch the wound, you want it to be raised when you're done like this, like a little pyramid. Because what happens with time is all wounds stretch. So if you don't make it raised when it stretches, what happens is it gets wide. And you get that little squiggly line that's pretty thick. Mm -hmm. So when you're closing on the operating room table, what I, what I do and I've taught my assistants who help me is you always want it to be bunched up. Because... That bunching compensates for that stretch you'll get over the next year of healing. And so, and, and that's what you saw, is that it looked a little thick, it looked a little raised right away after. Yeah. And the, the reason for that is to compensate for that stretch you'll get. Mm -hmm. And people often ask, well, um, why do people of color get thicker scars? Well, what happens is 
people of color, when they heal, oftentimes they'll make more collagen. And when that collagen becomes too thick, you can get what's called a hypertrophic scar. Now, a hypertrophic scar is a thick scar that's within the incision. But sometimes you've heard of keloids, right? Yes. And keloids happen when the scar grows past the incision. So to help prevent that, you have to have less wound tension, you have more eversion, and then we do healing things like scar protocol to make sure that the wound is optimized for its uh, continued um, time. So are you feeling like you have a keloid or hypertrophic scar right now? I don't think so. Um, I was actually really worried that I was going to develop a keloid a keloid scar because I just you know you, you just never know mm-hmm. you might who knows but um, it hasn't so you had this initial doubt after surgery mm-hmm. you questioned it out loud it got better yeah has that come back at all no not one bit not one bit it was just a split like three minute conversation and that was it it just mm-hmm. I knew I didn't make a mistake when you were undergoing this process, now, some people say hormones are sort of reversible, sort of not. Mm-hmm. Social transition is somewhat semi-reversible. When did it hit you that surgery is completely irreversible? Um, that moment that I um, I doubted myself. Afterwards? Yep. That, that, that same very moment, um, I was like, this, I will never be able to go back if I decide that this was a mistake. Um, but after I realized that it wasn't a mistake, that just never came back. And how has life been after? It's been fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. What can you do now that you couldn't do before surgery? I can wear any sort of shirts. Before, I used to avoid the, the color white, so I would never wear white shirts because I felt like you could see my chest more. Mm-hmm. Um, I stuck to more dark colors um, and like specific textures, too, just so... You didn't see my chest very well. Now I can wear whatever shirt I want, whatever pattern, any sort of texture, and I'm proud. That's awesome. Have you gone shirtless anywhere in public? Not yet. I'm um, trying to keep my scars away from sunlight mm-hmm. as much as possible. I think I might have gone into a pool once, and it was just like I just sat there, when it only covered about like a little bit above my belly, and mm-hmm. that was it. Because I, I just didn't want to take any chances. Um, I know I'm being extra cautious, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I just, I'd rather it come out the absolute best possible. Did you, when you were sitting at the edge of the pool, do you feel people were looking at you different or staring at your chest? I thought that originally, but no, I realized that nobody was looking. Nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could have done that before surgery? Yes, probably. I had a small enough chest, mm-hmm. so it looked like gyno, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of cis males that have gyno mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so to them when they saw me with my chest they didn't think much of it they were just like ah oh, it's just another guy with gyno mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when you when you were sitting at the edge of the pool mm-hmm. you initially felt people were looking then not what made you was, was it just that you took time to look around the room to feel yes. that out yep I, I took time to look around the room and see if anyone was staring at me the way I would assume people would be staring at me but mm-hmm. they weren't Many patients, you know, they, they undergo surgery also as a process of changing, changing their gender markers. Mm-hmm. Did you go through any of that? I did all of that before my surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently got my new passport um, that I had to renew because that was the last step in changing my gender marker and my name on my passport. Mm-hmm. And I finally got those, so I'm done. 
changing everything. And using the bathroom, was that ever a thing for you or were you always um, comfortable with using the bathroom as you saw fit? I would say um, the first couple months of coming out socially and I started using the men's restroom, um, this was before testosterone, I was a little scared just because I would hear a lot of trans folks talk about how it was scary or people would stare at you. But I realized the complete opposite. Like I think most people that are going to the bathroom, they don't really care. They just want to get into the bathroom, do their thing, and get out. Mm-hmm. And um, that was exactly the case. Are there any more surgeries that you have that you're thinking about? I have thought about bottom surgery, um, but I just personally just don't think that I'm ready for that. I don't. I want to wait until they perfect the surgery more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I hear that there's just too many complications. Mm-hmm. Um, too many scarring, um, and I just I don't think that I'm ready for that yet. Not until they perfect it more. When you look back at your journey, mm-hmm. what's one thing you would share with others who are thinking about the same? I would say just be patient and um, find people that you trust, find people that care about you, about sh- and just look at your your best interest. It doesn't matter how it affects them; they just look out for your best interest. How do you find people like that? Honestly, it's difficult. I would say that those types of people, they come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, you can't search for them because if you do, you're not going to find the right people. Um, the people that care about you will stick around and they'll make themselves known. Who cares about you the most, Liam? My family and my roommate, honestly. Yeah. How did you meet your roommate? We went to school together. Um, we met uh, sophomore year. That's when I moved to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, our life was just oddly similar. She was mm-hmm. actually the first girl I had a crush on mm-hmm. all through high school. And um, we did date for a little bit. Um, but I think once I started testosterone, I just needed to be on my own. Mm-hmm. And so we broke up and we've just been best friends supporting each other along the way. And she's been my caretaker through my surgery and mm-hmm. she's been amazing that's awesome have you been in any relationships since you've transitioned um not since crystal my roommate no okay is that something you're thinking that may happen for you or just taking it one day at a time i don't think so i'm happy being single and focusing on me mm-hmm. and being happy with my chest you know this is just i want to spend time with me mm-hmm. and um, i think this is the perfect time to do so that's cool and right now I know you shared with us you have um, you work in sales yes and you're a pharmacy technician correct mm-hmm. pharmacy technician assistant that's cool okay. did, did you do any school after after high school yeah I am um, I was actually going to be a lawyer my dream was to become a federal judge mm-hmm. and um, I played a lot of sports as I said before and I got a really bad concussion mm-hmm. so I had to drop out of college and just take time off Mm-hmm. And by that point, I just, I was struggling mentally. So I decided that I was going to do my second passion, which was real estate. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do that. Um, and COVID hit and it was just, it was too much. I had to work too much in order to make up for what I lost before. Um, and then I decided to just apply to Walgreens and I got that job. And then um, I just not extremely, extremely happy with it so I decided to keep looking and I found the the sales job and I've been pretty happy since then that's cool and um, where were you going to college 
I was going to college. Where yeah. was I going to college? Yeah. I was going to Shoreline Community College. Do you think that's something you're going to look at again? Yeah, in in the future, I still want to be a federal judge someday, so that'll be on my bucket list. That's cool. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Liam. Thank you for having me. Your story is so thought-provoking. It really helps me as a provider, and I think it's going to help our listeners understand the unique lives our patients come from. It's so important to understand and always know that the people as a provider that we have, I have the privilege to serve is someone with a family, someone with a mom, someone with a dad, with a brother and a sister, and understanding and always keeping in mind that every move we do is irreversible. And every move we do has tremendous impact on people. Thank you for that. I have learned a lot. I know your ordeal will teach our listeners how and what to expect as they go on their own plastic surgery journeys. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your time and I'm honored to have you as my good patient and I would say friend. Thank you. Liam, if there's one thing you could share with others about your surgical journey, what would it be? Just take your time. Um... Enjoy the process because it's a difficult and long process of healing and just take your time to really reflect on your life and picture what you might want in the future. Thanks for listening to the Plastic Surgeon Podcast and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to hear more great content. For my live surgeries on Instagram and my adventures throughout the week, catch us on all social media at Real Dr. Seattle. Yeah, what?